All right, we are uh, welcoming our older kids to stay with us because we're going to do a, a biography, a biographical sketch story this morning of my, <clears throat> one of my favorite, favorite, favorite missionaries that's ever lived. Her name is Gladys Elward, and she is mighty. She stood only about uh, four foot nine, but spiritually taller than Goliath. The lady just was special. Uh, two words for the teenagers with uh, volleyball tonight. Scott Sterling. Look it up. Scott Sterling volleyball. That's y'all. Actually, it's going to be Owen. Like I was, I was talking to the dads over the weekend. We were, hey, we're going to take it to the youth. And then we realized Monday's going to be really tough. <laughs> That's what we process through now. All right, let me share with you this story of Gladys Elbert. Uh Gladys was born February 24th, 1902. She died January 2nd in 1970. So 20th century uh, was her century. But she lives on now uh, to stir us on. And really, the, the reason we share these stories is, you know, as we sang earlier, our life, really, we want, we want God to have our hearts, want him to have everything we want to obey the Lord. And reading these stories and rehearsing these stories just ignites faith in us and it just says, God, I want to I wanna live for you in all the details of my life. So that's the biggest reason why we do these. So I, my prayer, my hope for all of us is that we are stirred with this. Uh, as I was writing, putting these notes, I've told the story countless times, but just wanted to put them in order because there's a lot of stories that I've shared from her life. Uh, it just stokes, stokes me again. Born in uh, northern London to a menial family, basically. Working class family. She worked as a maid growing up. Uh, and she, actually, she was able to work for some former missionaries to China. And as she was working for them, hearing their stories, they, they ended up wanting to go back to China. And just hearing the stories about China in her early 20s, she thought, I, I, I feel called to go to China. Back during that time, China Inland Mission uh, was having some great success within uh, the, on the coast. Hudson Taylor started China Inland Mission in Shanghai and moved inward, inland, uh, to just have missionaries all over the place throughout the inland of China. She goes and is accepted to the school in China, for China Inland Mission in London, uh, but she did not finish her training, and she told to not come back for more training because she was too old to learn the Chinese language, which our friends, the Jay family, figured out last year was also tough, huh? As they learned French. Look, she was too old to learn Chinese at 25 years old. So they said, you're not cut out to be a missionary. Disappointed, she found another job as a maid for a man named Sir Francis Younghusband. Sir Francis Younghusband was a historian who had been to China and he wrote history books about his journeys within China. And Gladys, whenever she could, she would borrow a book from her boss and she would read up on China. And more and more, her heart was ignited and she knew God was calling her to go to China. So she said, here's what I'm gonna do. A lady just hearing that she wanted to go to China gave her $30. And so she said, I'm gonna take this $30 and I'm gonna go buy a one-way uh, ticket to China. So she went over to... Mueller's 
travel agency, let's call it that. <laughs> she goes to the travel agency. She says, I would like to buy a one-way boat ticket to China. He says, okay, it's $90. Now, this is a lot of money back then, 1900s, early 1900s, a lot of money. It's a lot of money 20 years ago. Still is today somehow. But I digress. $90. She said, I have 30 He says, you got a gap to fill. It's not going to happen. She says, okay, how much is a train ticket? He said, a train ticket? You have to go all the way across Russia, and there's a war going on in Siberia. You can't do that. She said, how much is a train ticket? Ticket. She, he said, $60. She said, all right, I'm halfway there. So every week, she put down the $30 on that ticket, and every week she took some of her paycheck, and she put it into that ticket to where she, at the end of a, uh, a couple months, she was able to purchase that ticket. So she gets all of her things together in two suitcases, and her mother made her a jacket, a big, huge jacket that had pockets on the inside. And so she hid everything in her pockets, and she had her two suitcases. She, in London, gets to London, uh, gets to the, the, she had to sail across the English Channel. She gets into France and boards the train. October 15th, 1930, she was 28 years old. And her journey took her from London... Over here, follow that red line on the map all the way over to a little coastal town in the, the Sea of Japan, the very tip and edge of Russia called Vladivostok. Took her 21 days to get there. The reason being, she was on the train going through Russia, and she noticed that every stop, more civilians got off and more soldiers got on to where she was in the middle of Siberia, frozen wasteland, and she's thinking, what's going on? I'm the only one left. And they began to question her, and they couldn't, she didn't speak Russian, they didn't speak English, so they really didn't figure each other out, and they were trying to motion to her to stop, to get off, to not continue going, and she said, I need to get to China. I want to get to China, and I have to get to China. They said, there's war. So she got off the train, took her bags, and began to walk on the tracks. She said, I am going to China. She walks on the tracks, uh, gets finally to a, a distant town, was able, just there, nobody was there, maybe a few soldiers were inside. She just puts her luggage on the, uh, the platform at the train station and sat there, fell asleep, awoke the next morning, snow-covered, so she gets the snow off of herself, and finally somebody recognizes her and is able to speak English, broken English, and he says, what are you doing? And she said, I'm a missionary. And he said, oh, you're a machinist. Great, we need machinists because you fix, our, you fix our machines and you make them good, you make them work. She said, no, no, no. She brought out her Bible and she's trying to show him the Bible. He says, oh, no, no, machinist, that's good. So he puts her on that train to go to Vladivostok, which is industrial because being a port city. She's in Vladivostok in a hotel, very sketchy, very scary. People are looking at her strange. She doesn't know what to do. She can't really sleep well because she's, she's fearful. All of a sudden, a man comes and knocks on her door and tells her, be ready tonight at midnight. What? She said, okay. At midnight, a girl comes to the door and says, come with me quickly and takes her middle of the night, takes her around soldiers 
sneaking around and brings her to the docks because there was a Japanese vessel there and said, you need to tell this, you need to get on that ship no matter what. You need to tell the captain, I need to get on that ship. So she goes to the captain. She says, I really need to get on the ship. I can't stay here. I need to go to China. He says, well, I can't take you on board the ship uh, just being a British citizen because I'll need to hand you over to when we land in Japan. I'll need to give you over to the British citizens. She said, well, is there any other way? He said, I'll have to take you as a prisoner. Then you'd be under my care, and so I don't have to turn you in. She said, that's great. I'll be your prisoner. So she, was, she said, everything was great, and they're getting ready to board. A couple hours later, getting ready to board, uh, and the, the girl who was with her had since left. She thanked her, never saw her again, didn't know what that was all about. We know God orchestrated that, put it together for her. She's there waiting to get on the ship. It's time to board, and four Russian soldiers show up, and they want to take her into custody because they still want her to work on machines. So she remembered that a a missionary family who she had met traveling to France from England gave her $30. It was a $30 note. So we got a $20 bill. They had a $30 bill. She takes it out of her hand. She She's what am I going to do? She takes that out of one of the pockets in her coat. She holds it up like this and lets it go. And the wind carried it. And the four Russian soldiers were looking at what, where the money went. She scurried onto the ship. She said, I'm going to China. She gets to Japan, finds another ship that is bound for China. She's able to be, she met, met some more missionaries in Japan that are helping her get to China. Uh, she needs to get there. And while she was working... While she was working for uh, Sir Francis' young husband, somebody had told her of a lady in China, uh, a Mrs. Jenny Lawson, who had been a missionary in China, but her husband died in China. She moved back to England and was unsettled, and she said, I need to go back to China. That's just what I need to do. She was 73 years old, and she was just asking for somebody if they knew, somebody that could help. Jenny said, I'm that person. So on this, she's finally recognizing, I get to meet Mrs. Lawson. This is going to be great. She gets to China. She's asking around the other missionaries. And the other missionary said, Mrs. Lawson left two weeks ago. She really didn't think you would make it. So great. I have to go all the way to Yangcheng. I have to get there myself. So she's on one of those uh, carriage thingies. You know, the guys are running. I forget what they're called. And she's sitting there. And at some point, the road ends. And she says, uh, the, the muleteer says, that's it. You got to go on from here. She said, how do I go on from here? He said, on mule. So she loaded up, found a mule to rent, gets on the mule and starts walking. Finally ends up at a place. She recognizes a uh, British woman there. The British woman is astounded that Gladys actually got there. Goes out. She says, what are you doing? She said, and Gladys says, are you Mrs. Lawson? She said, I am. Who are you? She said, I'm Gladys Elward. I'm here to help you. They hugged. They embraced. And then they began to plan. How will we spread the gospel together? And uh, Mrs. Lawson had an idea. She said, I know what to do. She said, we're going to have an inn. She had a building there. We're going to make it an inn because what would happen is these muleteers that would come through was the only way to travel through the mountains in that part of China. The muleteers, it was mule trains. They were all linked together because you put people on some and then you put luggage on others in order to get to where you needed to go. And these muleteers, when it became nighttime, stayed at inns. And there was a big, huge, uh, heated block 
that they would all lie down on and sleep on because they were able to stay warm in the cold, but they also ate there, and the next morning they would get up and walk on. So Mrs. Lawson said, this is a great idea. We're going to have an inn where the muleteers can come. We'll, we'll feed them, have a warm place to stay, but we'll also tell them stories from the Bible. We'll tell them about Jesus. Gladys said, that's great. So they fixed the place up. They had it together. I think we have some pictures of the entrance that's still there. Uh, the second story, there was a courtyard inside. That's where everybody was. Mrs. Lawson wanted to call the Inn of Eight Happinesses just because she liked the sound of it. So the Inn of Eight Happinesses was started. And she said, Gladys, all right, now we got the place. You got to go get some mule tears. And so Gladys went out there. She was trying to get people to come in. Come in. We have warm place. And she's trying to say it in Chinese. She's learning the language, trying to figure out. But every time she would go out to the road to try to get somebody, they would go around her. She said, Mrs. Lawson, I can't get anybody to stay here. She said, oh, forgot to tell you. They think we're foreign devils. That's what they call us. So you're just going to have to figure out a way to get them in here. So Gladys said, all right, remember, this tall. She says, I know what I'm going to do. She went out there and just went to the next mule train that came. She took the first mule and dragged it in. So everybody had to come. But once that first person was there, then it became... Uh, it became popular, actually, because everybody who was there loved hearing the stories of the Bible. They had a cook that was uh, there, and a Chinese believer. He was one of the first believers there, and he's cooking for them. And so sometimes he wanted to tell the stories. Let me tell the stories. And so they would give him opportunity to tell the stories. And he started talking about how Jesus was in the ark with all the animals. He was mixing up all the names and didn't know what was happening. But much fruitfulness. The Chinese loved hearing the stories of the Bible. Things were going really well. And sadly, Mrs. Lawson was injured in an accident at the house because she fell from that second story. She eventually died as a result of her injuries. And Gladys was left alone again, trying to figure out what to do. She prayed and asked the Lord, what am I going to do? The difficulty was they didn't have enough people coming in. Mrs. Lawson was doing uh, some other work to be able to pay for the taxes and the rent of the building that they had. So she says, I don't know what to do. I don't have the money to pay the taxes. I'm not sure what's going to happen. And at that moment, the Mandarin, the governor of that area, calls Gladys to come before him. And she said, I can't go before him. And they said, no, 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 Gladys, you have to. If the Mandarin calls you, you have to go. She said, okay. She goes to meet with the man, she's thinking everything, she's going to be sent out of the country, they're going to take the house, she's going to have nothing, What God, show up, what are you going to do? Well, the Mandarin did not call her to take away her house. He said, I need a foot inspector. He said, what? They, they had passed a, a new law in China that made it illegal to bind the the feet of girls because in Chinese culture at that time small, the smaller the foot, the prettier the foot. And what they would do at babies, they would begin to wrap their feet really, really tight so they would actually grow into themselves to be able to fit in a little shoe. And they, on the coast where everything really happened during that time, they made it illegal because they recognized that's really not good. 
The Mandarin said, I need somebody to travel all in the mountains to, tell, to make sure that these families are not still doing that. So he wanted Gladys, a foreigner, to come and enforce the law because he couldn't trust the Chinese people. He couldn't trust the Chinese women because they still wanted small feet and the men couldn't look at women's feet. So he said, I need you. She realized in that moment, God was answering her prayer to be able to keep the inn because this was a government job and she'd be getting a government, government paycheck. But she said this, this to the Mandarin. She said, I'll be happy to be your foot inspector, but please know this. Everywhere I go in these mountains, I will tell them about Jesus and I will show the stories that we've been sharing at the inn. And the Mandarin said, I don't care about that. Just make sure they're not binding the feet. Well, from that moment, from that encounter, Gladys and the Mandarin began, uh, began a friendship. And there was a friendship that still, uh, that lingered and grew. She traveled all over the place. She would be gone for days at a time in these remote villages in the mountains of China and leaving the inn, and they had some other staff there that were, uh, that were still ministering. In the, they got their stories straight from the Bible so that she could trust them when she left. But every time she went out, she shared the gospel, and people responded. And then after a time, she was like the Apostle Paul. She said, I need to go again. And so after several months, she would go again and she would visit the same villages and tell them about Jesus. And some, would, the believers who were there got stronger in their faith and others who didn't believe when she came first time were believing then. She had a powerful presence. So powerful was her message that one day she got word that the governor of the jail had summoned her to come to the jail. And remember, the, the messages that are coming are from people. You need to come right now to the jail. Why do I need to go to the jail? She said, there's, it's just urgent. You've got to come, and it's disrespectful to, to not show up. She said, okay, I'll go to the jail. Well, she approaches the jail, and she's, he she's hearing a lot of commotion because, remember, it's the courtyard in there. They can hear everything. She goes in to meet with the governor of the jail, and he says, we're in the middle of a riot, and I need you and your God to go in there and stop the riot. I've heard the stories that you say, and everybody else says that you, you have a God that, that can stop everything and allows and is con in control over everything. I need you to go in there and tell them to stop. And she thought, this is really not the time for a theology lesson. I can't really explain to him. That's not quite how it works. So she said, okay. And she walks through this tunnel by herself. She walks through the tunnel and... and in the space of that tunnel, however far it was, she's walking and praying, God, what am I going to do? You've got to show up for the sake of these people and your, your fame and your, your name with them. Please show up. She goes in there still not knowing what to do. Walks in the middle of a riot and a man with a machete runs over to her with his machete raised to which she says... Stop right there and hand me that machete. And the gentleman did this. Surrendered his machete. She started calling out orders to everybody else to stop what they were doing. They had men lying dead in the courtyard of the jail. And she's telling them to stop. And they were obeying. And she said, why are you doing this? They said, we're bored. But we just started killing each other. 
this powerful presence that God was with her. Comes back out, tells the governor, the governor thanks her profusely, thank you so much, because we would, the governor was prepared to kill them all just to stop the riot, but gave opportunity for God to show up in, in his weird uh, thinking for God to show up. Gladys then uh, says to the governor, you need to find something for these guys to do because they're bored. And she started giving them ideas. They could plant stuff. They could uh, harvest their own food. They grow their own food. She's given them, and she established prison reform right there in the community. From that moment, she was given the name Iwede, which means virtuous one. So no longer was she a foreign devil. She was the virtuous one. There came a time when she's walking through uh, the market, getting the supplies for the inn, and there was a man there with a young girl. And she thought it strange that he was there in the market with this young girl. Something was not right, and she walked over to him and said, is this your daughter? He said, no, but she's for sale. She said, you can't sell children. She actually took it up with the Mandarin and said, why do you allow child sellers in this market he said i don't care what they do let's we just overlook that she said you can't overlook that so she went back out and she said how much for this girl the guy said nine pence she paid him the nine pence for the girl then adopted this girl and named her nine pence nine pence was there with her till the day she died grew her up she was she then uh, she adopted more kids that were around, but she began to realize we need to do something differently about all these kids. So she went to the Mandarin and said, uh, we have, really the orphans were the ones that the child sellers would find and then sell in the markets. She said, we need to do something about the orphans. He said, I don't want to do anything about the orphans. She said, no, we have to do something. And so they agreed for a plan that she would open up the inn for orphans. And the inn stopped being for muleteers and became a place for children to where it grew over the years to 200 children living in that inn. Some, uh, I think she ended up adopting three of them. Her son was named Boa Boa. (laughs) That's a fun name. In 1938, as they were going about their day, going about their life, they heard a buzz. And they didn't know what it was. So they came out and they looked up and saw what they said were, were insects that flew. They were Japanese zeros that were coming in. This is the beginning of World War II. The Japanese zeros coming in and, and they're looking. They hadn't seen planes like this. They're looking up in wonder and then saw black boxes being dropped from them. And when the first black box dropped, it exploded. And somebody said, bombs! And they all ran. The inn took on some damage from those bombs. And it was, it was, the word began coming from the coast into the inland. And the Mandarin called in Gladys one day and he said, the Japanese are on their way. This is war. And we have to evacuate the city. But he said to Gladys, because of our friendship, I wanted to hear about Jesus one more time. And she shared like she had shared before. She shared 
the gospel of Jesus, that he came as God's love, his display of love to save us from our sins by dying our death on the cross to give us resurrection life. And if we believe him, if we trust him and not trust our own works, we will be saved. And the Mandarin said, I want to do that. So that Mandarin became a Christian at that moment. And he knew that would be the last time that he would see Gladys because Gladys needed to evacuate with all the kids and he needed to fulfill his responsibility. He didn't know whether it was to stay to face the Japanese army when they came or to evacuate himself. He ended up eventually evacuating with his family, but he didn't see Gladys ever again. But Gladys had the knowledge that he did become a Christian before they left. Gladys sent a hundred orphans with a, a, a ministry friend, gentleman, who was able to take those kids to safety. And the, the, the second hundred stayed with Gladys. And they lingered a little bit because they, she, had, uh, she had some sick ones. And she wanted them to get better before they made this long journey to the coast to be able to, to be safe, to be evacuated. While she's there, they finally set out. But now they're crossing, as they're walking, Chinese soldiers are crossing the, the paths with them and they are, they're going to meet the Japanese who are coming further and further inland. She was trying to figure, at one point, a child uh, basically broke his ankle, so she had to carry this child. She gets hurt, twists her ankle, but she keeps on going, keeps on going. She gets to the Yellow River and realizes, how am I going to get 100 people hundred children across this river with the zeros flying around with Japanese soldiers maybe popping up out of the trees at any moment so like all the other times before when she said God I have no idea what to do please show up they're waiting silently they're waiting quietly and she sees in the distance a little boat a guy in a little boat paddling along and she recognizes a Chinese uh, gentleman in the boat and she waved him down he ferried all of those kids across the river to safety. They were exhausted. They still had more journey to go, and they found a train filled with coal. And Gladys, exhausted, said, just get on top. Get on top of the coal. Just get up there. She was so exhausted, she fell asleep. All the kids fell asleep because they had walked all through the night. They fell asleep uh, and then were awakened to the Japanese zeros again, to the plains. And Gladys was thinking, oh no, they're going to see us. We're on top of this coal. They're going to see people on top of the coal. But they just flew right over. She told everybody to be real still. Then they flew over and she thought, why didn't they see us? And she sat up and she recognized on herself and everybody else that the soot of the coal had gotten on top of them and camouflaged them. They blended in with the coal so the zeros didn't, the Japanese pilots didn't see them. Gets everybody to safety. She had to leave China, and at this point, she had become a Chinese citizen because of the, she, her being the virtuous one and, and adopting nine pence. She said, I want to become a Chinese citizen. So she, talk about immersion, she immersed herself in that Chinese culture. She has to get away, and somebody said, you really should go back to England. She said, I really don't want to go back to England. This is my home now. I want to stay here. I said, no, it's probably wisest to do that, to get better, because she was very sick uh, from the, the climate and the coal and everything. So she goes all the way back to England to find out that she was a celebrity. She didn't even know it. 
Somebody who had picked up a story with the Associated Press, Time Magazine purchased that story, and it was in Time Magazine uh, several years before Gladys even got back to England. She didn't like all the attention, but she recognized this is an opportunity just to keep on telling people about what God's doing in China. So she traveled around to churches and stuff, but her heart really said, I want to go back. I want to go back to China. At that time, the communist uh, party took over in China and was really cracking down with everybody that said they were a Christian and really killing everybody that said they were a Christian or jailing them. So her heart broke, and she knew she couldn't go back into mainland China, so she settled on the island of Taiwan, which is right off the coast. And she stayed there for the rest of her life, and she still ministered, and she still told people about Jesus, and she still watched God do amazing things. There are so many stories in her life where she would go someplace, talk about Jesus, and the Chinese people would listen and respond. She said this to God. She died January 2nd, 19. She went to bed on, on New Year's Day, 1970, and didn't wake up. 67 years old a full life of faith and fruitfulness that I know captures us. Famous quote of hers is this. God, here's my Bible. Here's the little money that I have. Use me. It's so simple, but when God gets a hold of our hearts like that, we really do see gospel fruitfulness. We see the gospel shine through and we see people's lives change forever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this dear lady who I can't wait to run up and thank in heaven. Lord, how she has so encouraged my life and challenged my faith. Lord, I pray that that, that effect is today because it's really, it's your spirit that has us remember the heroes of the faith. Hebrews 11 starts that way. And Lord, thank you that we have stories of people that are closer to us chronologically in time. Thank you that we have people that are closer to us that we can say, I can do that too. I can do that too. So Lord, I pray that we all would say like Gladys, God, here's my Bible. Here's my faith. Here's my money. Use me. And God, would we see a miraculous miracle, uh, uh, <laughs> miraculous miracle, same thing. God, may we see you use us miraculously in the lives of the people that we're around. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.